Um, so if you're not a believer, don't leave. You might find what I have to say, though, might be helpful to you as well. But church, this word is for us this morning. Okay? Here's why this word is for us this morning. Because Jesus tells us very clearly in Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, against you, not you, against them, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go, be, re- be reconciled. Then, come and offer your gift. That's Jesus' word to us, how we are to live. Paul reminds us in Romans 12, 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with God. I need to put my clock in front of me so you don't start throwing your Bibles at me. Uh, Okay. So, the mandate is for us. That's how we are to live. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are responsible for resolving conflict. We have, a, we have a responsibility to make sure that the way we handle conflict brings honor to his name and it works out in a way that attracts people into the kingdom. Because of our backgrounds, our emotional makeup, someone said it earlier already, because we're different, our personality differences, we all respond to conflict differently. Okay, some of us, um, we shut down, we get quiet, we become passive-aggressive. Right? We're not, we're not saying anything anymore. We're just not doing anything. We're just not talking to you. You know, we're like ships passing in the night. You know, we don't want to have, I mean, have anything to say to the other person. Uh, we may have a conflict at church, at, at, at church and you see the person, you know, coming and you want to go on the other side, you know, sit someplace else. And you may have a conflict at work and you don't want to talk to you. Well, and you have a conflict with your spouse. You know, you're not saying anything anymore. Passive aggressive. And then there's the other side where you just say it. You know, you're angry and you just say what's on your mind. You just let them have it. You just spew it all out there. You don't care who it gets, how it gets anybody. You just let them have it. And you say, you know, uh, because I'm, I just say what's on my mind. You know, I'm just this kind of person. That's who I am. Right? But either approach is never healthy for how we handle conflict. So this morning... I want to offer you, as according to God's word, an approach that we could take to dealing with conflict that helps us. My approach of dealing with conflict in the past, I used to shut down. I used to shut down and stew over it and remember the person and keep it in mind and, you know, and wish them the very best of worst things to happen to them. <laughs> you know, because I'm so angry at them, Okay. And I, and I live with that inside of me, and it keeps eating away at me, you know, and, and, and I see the person, and, you know, and, uh, but thanks be to God, I'm, I'm learning to take it God's way. It's a better way. And I want to offer you that this morning. But I want to, I want to draw your attention then to a, um, a character in, in the Bible, Old Testament, book of Nehemiah. Yes, it is a book in the Old Testament. It's called Nehemiah. Okay? It's page 410 in your Bible. Okay? If you, have a, if you have a device, I can't tell you what page that is. Okay? But look at Nehemiah, chapter 5. And I'll quickly, quickly bring you up to speed where Nehemiah is here before we get to chapter 5. 
Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king at the Xerxes. And Nehemiah was a Jew that was in captivity. And Nehemiah got word that the people in captivity were living in poverty and they were being taken advantage of and the walls were broken down so the people weren't safe. If you can imagine living in a time when the wall was the only safety you had that protect you, protected you, could you imagine what it was, would be like to go to bed at night with your front door and your garage door and your back door wide open trying to sleep because you can't close those doors? That's what it's like to live in a city without a wall and how the people were living, okay? Raiders would come through at any time and take their wives and take their daughters or beat them up or take their crops or whatever. So they were living in that insecurity. Nehemiah got word and he got a burden for his people. He began to pray and he sought God and God answered his prayer. He prayed and he fasted, Nehemiah chapter 1. Prayed and fasted, Nehemiah chapter 2. He showed up in the king's presence as a cupbearer. The king says, why are you looking so downcast? He tells him the story. The king says, what do you need? Give him everything he needed to go back, the 800 miles. Because he was so close to the king, he got protection and everything to go all the way through, all the material he needed. And he got there, and he began the process to build a wall. But as he got there, the people who were taking advantage of the poor people, the Gentiles and half Jew pe Jewish people, and the governor and stuff that were really abusing the people, they tried to thwart his plan from building the wall. So they, they create opposition for him. But the thing you learn about Nehemiah as you read that book, he's just a man of prayer. Every situation that came up, he sought the Lord in prayer. Okay, he sought the Lord in prayer. And then, you come to chapter 4 and he's building the wall and he's, he, you know, they, they identified all the gates and the wall is being built and they're having now to the place where they're working with one hand and holding a sword in the other hand, but they were doing the job. They're getting the wall built. And chapter 5 brings us now to internal opposition. All oppositions before were, they were external. It was the work of the enemy from the outside. Now that kind of any, um, opposition we can understand because we expect it. The opposition that's most difficult to deal with is the one that's inside. And this chapter 5 is about internal conflict. It was actually the nobles and the officials, the Jewish nobles and officials that were actually taking advantage of the poor Jewish people. So they came to complain to Nehemiah. And I want us to follow this story of these people coming to Nehemiah to bring their complaint before him. And I want you to see how the man of God demonstrated to us how to resolve conflict in a way that works out for the good of all. And most importantly, it brings honor to God. That's what we're going to look at briefly this morning. So, if you'll turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 5. And if you'll stand with me, I want to read the first 13 verses for you. Reading from the New International Version. This is what Nehemiah says. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, We and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grains during the farming. Still, others were saying, We have had to borrow money 
to pay the king taxes on our fields and vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. When I heard these, the outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are charging your own people interests? So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, as far as possible, we have brought back our fellow Jews who were sold to Gentiles. Now you are selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. So I continued, what are you doing is wrong. What you are doing is wrong. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of the Gentiles' enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain. But let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, their vineyards, olive groves, and houses, and also the interest you are charging them, 1% of the money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. We will give it back, they said, and all we, excuse me, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. Then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. I also shook out the folds of my robes and said, in this way, may God shake out their home, the houses and possessions, anyone who does not keep this promise. So may such a person be shaken out and emptied. And the whole assembly said, Amen. And praise the Lord. And the people did as they were told. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you you have not left us to figure this out, but you've given us clear instructions on how we can live in your kingdom. Open our hearts now so we can learn from you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, as we see, the people came with a complaint. They were struggling. They were helping to build a wall, but they, haven't, they had no food. They couldn't feed their people. The first thing I want you to notice is what Nehemiah did in trying to resolve this conflict which is a good thing for us all to do from time to time, rather all the time, is that he listened. Notice, for the first five verses, he listened. He didn't, he didn't ask them questions. He didn't, you know, he didn't make them feel badly for coming to tell him. You know, you know some, sometimes someone comes and tells us about a conflict, and we ask them questions and make them feel so badly for having come to us as though you know, uh, we make, they, they, they don't want to deal with it again because they try talking to us, but we made them feel guilty. Nehemiah listened well. He gathered the facts, okay? He let the people talk. And so as he listened, I would imagine he probably took notes, you know, and he was paying attention so that he had the facts. So rule number one for good conflict resolution is that we should practice good listening. He didn't interrupt, ask too many questions. The people were able to speak to him freely. 
That's the first five verses. But verse 6 tells us something very interesting. Verse 6 tells us that he became angry. I was angry. Nehemiah says. <clears throat> he says that when I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. Can I ask you, what do you do when you get very angry? We retaliate, don't we? We find ways to make you pay. But I want you to notice that Nehemiah got very angry. He had an emotional reaction to the situation. Okay? And we all have emotional reaction to conflict. When we engage in conflict, we feel certain things. Okay? And when we feel certain things, what we need to avoid doing is just giving in uh, to the emotions. Nehemiah just didn't give in to his anger. He recognized his anger. We need... So I'll give you a new thing to think about. Maybe you want to say it to each other or say it to yourself. From now on, tell yourself. When you're, when you're angry, say to yourself, I need a Nehemiah moment. I need a Nehemiah moment. You see, Nehemiah didn't react to his anger. He... He, he owned it. He said, I was very angry. But he didn't explode in his anger. And when we get angry, we have a way of just letting it show. We let the emotion, you know. The, the, the brain science tells us that in the base of our brain is the amygdala. And the amygdala is the place where we experience emotion. And then there's a frontal cortex where we process information. So when we experience something, that information goes two places. To our amygdala, our emotional experience, and to our frontal cortex as we process it. But guess which one responds first? You have no idea what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, we always have an emotional moment before we have a rational moment. And if we could stop and realize, I'm having an emotional moment here right now. I need to slow down long enough. I need a Nehemiah moment to engage my rational thinking in a way to respond to this conflict. And that's what Nehemiah did. He stepped aside and he pondered. Falling on, on, on what he says, you know. I pondered them in my mind. So he moved from feeling to thinking. <clears throat> I don't know what he did, but he went for a walk. Probably went down to Dutchbrook, got a cup of coffee. You know, I don't know. Probably went through, um, you know, went through um, Facebook or tweeted how he was feeling. I don't know what he was doing. But whatever he was doing, he was allowing himself to calm down long enough so he could think about what he just heard. People, if we could apply that principle to how we handle conflict, it'll make such a big difference in our lives. If we could not react how we are emotionally, if we can stop long enough to, to feel, right now I'm feeling angry, or I'm feeling hurt, you know, or I'm feeling sad, whatever I'm feeling, let me just know what I'm feeling. And then let me think about how is the best way. So what do I need to do? My Nehemiah moment might be taking a walk, or, or going for a drive, or listening to some music, whatever it is. Figure out what it is you need to do. But have that moment before you begin to respond to that conflict. Then he said, I thought about it. He had calmed down. And he thought about, how can I deal with this conflict in a way that's productive to all and, most importantly, honors God? 
Verse 7 tells us, <clears throat> excuse me, in verse 7 and, um, and verse, right, right at the start of verse, verse 7, says that, um, where did the verse 7 go in this Bible? Oh, there it is, okay. Okay. I pondered them in my mind, and then I accused the nobles and the officials for what they, what they did. Okay? What I want you to see here is when he thought about what had happened, he didn't go to anybody else. He went straight to the source of the problem. He didn't talk to anybody else. He didn't ask another opinion. He went straight to the source of the problem to confront the issue. Wouldn't it be so nice if we would learn to go straight to the person that we have the concern with rather than telling this one to tell that one to tell the other one by the time we get to the person that we're talking about something totally different? Okay? What if we can, we can have the, the courage and the strength to say, you know what, I need to do this. You know why I need to do this? Because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. You know why I need to do this? Because how I handle this is going to definitely have an impact on how people perceive what it is to be Christian. So it's not about you. It's about who you represent. But for us, it's so much about who we are and what we want and how we feel and what we think we're going to win or we're going to lose that we do not think about how it's impacting what we say our life is supposed to represent. That is the kingdom of God. And so Nehemiah did not act on how he felt. He thought about how to deal with the problem and he went straight to the source of the problem. He went straight and confronted the officials and told them what was said to him. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 tells us that when he confronted them, they became very quiet. They became very quiet. When he finished telling them all of the problems, they kept quiet at the end of verse 8. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. Why do you think that was? Because he confronted them with the facts. It's not no hearsay, oh, I think, or this is what might be happening, or I feel this is happening, or you think this is what's happening. He just laid it out just as he got it from the people who were being persecuted. And he said, this is what's happening. And when he finished laying out the facts before them, they had nothing to say. Because you know why? When we lay the facts out to people, they rarely have anything to say. It's when we don't have facts, we give them reason to argue with us and tell us we're wrong. And where did you get that from? And that's what didn't happen. And how did you end up with that? And who told you this? And, but when you have the facts and you go straight to the source, there is little conversation beyond the facts. Here's what facts does for us. Facts controls emotion. Because when we can lay the facts out, think of it this way. You tell yourself, think of that, whatever it is you've been dreaming of buying, what is it, a new house, a new SUV, a new iPhone 8, what's been in your mind? Can you think of it? Could you, think how, could you feel how nice it would feel to have that? Wouldn't it be great? Whatever that is, that putting that smile on your face right now. That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? But I'll hit you some facts. You can't afford it. 
See? So facts just took care of emotion, didn't it? <laughs> That's what facts does. When we lay the facts out, it controls the emotion. In dealing with conflict, we need to get the facts. We need to go straight to the source. Verse 9. I want you to notice what Nehemiah presents to them as, as the problem. Okay? We got to be careful as followers of Jesus Christ. When we are dealing with conflict, it's not our opinion, our likes, our dislikes, our preferences is what's going to settle the issue of the conflict. The conflict can only be settled as what God says we ought to do. Because we all have different views and different opinions and different likes and dislikes. Okay, So we all come up with a different opinion right in this room. All of us talking about the same topic. So where do we find common ground? What makes us come together? It's the word of God. That's where we get our authority from. The word of God. So listen to Nehemiah addressing them. So, so the problem, the problem here is, it's not that they're taking advantage of the poor Jewish people. That's, that's a symptom. That is not the problem. Here's the problem. Verse 9. He tells them that the problem is they're not walking in the fear of God. They're not walking in the fear of God. That, so I continued, what you're, doing, what you're doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God? You see, here's the challenge, folks. Once we no longer walk in the fear of God, we will take advantage of other people. The only thing that keeps us from using other people for our own advantage is that we walk in the fear of God. We learn to respect others and see others as created in the image of God. It doesn't matter who you are, male, female, black, white. It doesn't matter, you know, Republican, Democrat, Libertarian. It doesn't matter what's your opinion. It doesn't matter what your socioeconomic position is. At the end of the day, we see you as a human being created in the image of Christ. And as much as Christ loved me and gave himself for me, he did it for you as well. So it is only when I am no longer walking in that reality, I will take advantage of you. And that was the problem. And, and that's the seat of all of our problems as Christians. Whenever you see a conflict come up, whenever you're having a struggle, when there's an issue going on there, someone is not walking in the fear of God. And that's what he confronts. That's what angered Nehemiah, as a matter of fact. Nehemiah got angry because he knew that they knew enough. That the Jews knew enough that they were taught that to oppress the poor was, show, was showing contempt for God. And to be kind to the needy was honoring to God. They just neglected to do what they already knew. Because they were feeding their feelings. They were feeding what they want. They wanted more. They were rich. 
They had all the money, but it, they were still taking advantage of the poor people rather than helping them because they were no longer walking in the fear of God. The dishonoring of God by taking advantage of the less fortunate will always, will always create conflict among people. So we look at the world stage, look at all the things that are happening, you know, and, and I, I keep reminding people all the time, you know, we think about our government officials and the things they do and the things we hear and we talk about them. And I'm always mindful, I am always mindful of two things. Two things I'm mindful of as I think of this world. And that's just, just my, so okay. This is not the word of God, this is the word of Errol, okay? But it'll preach anyway. Um, two things. One, this world is not my home. It doesn't mean I don't try to do my best to help people in this world, but I'm not banking on this world being my home. Okay? So I, I, don't, I, don't, get, I don't get in a panic and get, get scared and think, you know, all that's happening, you know, it's, it's not my home. Secondly, secondly, and most importantly, I am aware of all these political leaders and these power players. I can't expect them to be Christian. They're not. So when they say and do things and people get, you know, how could he say that? How could she do that? I'm thinking, you're looking at them from your worldview. You're a Christian. You're thinking, you know, you say, if, if that was me, I wouldn't do that. Well, Lord help us. I hope you wouldn't because you're a follower of Jesus Christ. <laughs> okay? So, so be careful that you don't put expectations on people that they can't deliver at because they don't have what you have. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, I have an obligation. I have a responsibility. I say to people all the time, in my list of priorities, God is number one. Okay? But if God is number one, it means that he, he permeates everything about my life. How I spend my money, how I spend my time, how I treat other people. Everything I do is a reflection of God being number one. Now I can say God is number one, but I could not tithe. I can say it, but I could not tithe, okay? That means he's not number one because I don't trust him with the money that he already gave me anyway, okay? I can say God is number one, you know, but um, I don't like you because you don't have my political views, okay? Then God is not number one. The point I'm making to you is if God is number one, then that ought to permeate everything that you're about, all of your life. And, and Nehemiah was, was very aware that, that, that these people had, had shifted God from being number one and they were now doing a, a, living, a, a living a life that was supposed to reflect God but wasn't because um, they were living for themselves. Paul tells us, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but to each other's interests. But the interests of each, of the other. Sorry. Here's what I want you to catch. Nehemiah got angry because he knew that these people knew better, but they were not doing it. To dishonor God by mistreating others should always make a Christian angry. Whenever a human being 
is being mistreated, that should anger you. That should anger you with enough anger to do something about it. Not in an emotional way that creates more problem than solve it. But you should be trying to figure out how can I make a difference, you know, when another human being is being mistreated. That's what angered Nehemiah. He's thinking, you know better than that? And you're treating these people like that? As followers of Jesus Christ, any mistreatment of any human being should anger you. Because that's what Christ died for, to preserve the individual. And when we say we are followers of Jesus Christ, and that doesn't bother us, something's really wrong. That bothered Nehemiah. But not only that, that, it is, that they were dishonoring God, the thing he was concerned about as you look at the continuation of that verse is that they were being a distraction to the Gentiles that were looking on. What he was saying was that your witness, your witness as a, as a, as a follower of God, as a Jew who says that God is everything to you, he's number one, and they're watching the way you're treating your people, they're thinking to themselves, if that is what it is to serve Yahweh, I don't know if I really want to serve Yahweh if that's the way they treat people. But you know what? That's true today, isn't it? How we live our lives and the way we treat other people and the way we, the way we handle conflict, the way we resolve situations, I want you to know that the world is watching us. And, and folks, the way we do it is going to either attract them to want to be a follower of Jesus Christ or they will end up saying, if that's what being Christian is, I think I am better off the way I am. So this is not just about you and whether you get your rights or you solve this problem and it, you'll come out looking good. It is about who you say you are and what you represent. As a follower of Jesus Christ, that's why I said this is a word to the church. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you cannot claim to be, you know what we, what we pray in the Lord's Prayer? What do we pray? Our Father who art in heaven, what? And what else? Stop right there. Thy kingdom come. Who is supposed to make his kingdom come? Exactly. We are the ones through whom this kingdom is coming. So if we are handling conflict in a way that is selfish and that is, that is taking advantage of other people, the kingdom ain't coming through us, people. Something is coming, but not the kingdom. <laughs> it ain't the kingdom. We are called to be representative of the kingdom of God. And our lives are to reflect that in how we handle conflict. The fear of God. When we live with that reality, the inconsistent conduct of, offend, of, of the offenders not only dishonored God, but it also ignored scriptures and it nullified their witness to the unbelievers that were looking on. In other words, Nehemiah was saying, your action speaks louder than your words. Yeah. Don't just say it, live it. Is God number one? Live like God's number one. Don't just say it. Live it. Inconsistent lifestyles seriously damage the effectiveness of the Christian witness. W.E. Sangster asked a very troubling question. I want to ask it to you this morning. I think it's, it's worth thinking about. This is the question he asked when it comes to our witness to the church. Are some people outside the church of Jesus Christ because I am inside? Are some people outside the church of Jesus Christ 
because I am inside. Lord, help us this morning. Well, may that not be true of any of us. May that not be true of any of us. Nehemiah get this, got, got his people all together, the people who complained, the people who did the wrong, he brought them all together. They had a conversation. They came to an agreement. And he says, yes. But I want you to notice the next thing he did. After they all agreed, to, the, the, the nobles agreed to give everything back and do everything he asked of them, I want you to notice what Nehemiah did, though. He called the priests and he made them swore an oath. Here is the point. Conflict resolution without accountability rarely get resolved. If there, if, if there is no accountability for what <clears throat> needs to be done going forward to resolve the conflict, it wouldn't get resolved. How many times? Don't answer. Don't raise your hand. But how many times do you find yourself in conflict and you talk about what we're going to do and how we're going to resolve this and then a little while down the road the same things keep happening again? Because we didn't have any accountability. Nehemiah didn't leave it without accountability. He put accountability in place. He calls the priests and he asks them to swore, you know, to swear an oath that they're going to do everything they've promised. And not only that, he reminded them as he shook his garment and he says, not, on, not only that you keep your oath, but if you don't keep your oath, I want you to know this is what God's going to do to you. He's going to shake everything out of you. And they knew what that meant because they had a lot. And they couldn't envision themselves losing everything they had, so they would do their best to make sure that they keep the oath that they made to God on that day. Conflict resolution, the biblical way. Listen. Don't get emotional. Think about it. Go straight to the source. Don't give them your opinion, but point them to the biblical principle under the biblical reason for why they're wrong and why they're doing what they're doing is not right. Present the facts, but hold them accountable. I'm saying that to you as well, as you wrestle with your own conflict. Okay? You have to figure out how can I best do these things in my own life, in my conflict resolution process. I want you to notice the, the rest of the um, the chapter there, but before I go there, I can, I can hear yourself. I can hear you asking a question. This is resolved because the people were in agreement to resolve the question to resolve the conflict. What about when you're trying to resolve a conflict, but the other party is not interested in wanting to resolve the conflict? What am I supposed to do then? Take them out. Get rid of the problem. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, here's the thing. We still have an obligation as followers of Jesus Christ. Okay? And here's, if you read over in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus gives us some guidelines of how to do that. He says, if you have a, a confrontation with someone, a, a, to be, somebody to resolve, go to them personally, talk to them. And if they don't want to listen, then you take someone with you and you Talk with them. And if they're still not listening, then you, you, you can't force them to, to want to listen. Okay? But here's the thing you got to do. 
You, and it's just a principle you need to think about. You are the one who have the responsibility because you're the one who want to do the Christ-like thing here, right? You have the responsibility to leave this open that it's always possible to have reconciliation. No, no such remarks like, I'm done with you. You know? Talk to the hand. No. There is no such attitude. We are to always leave it open for resolving the conflict. We are to humble ourselves. We are to go back to the person who is offended by us and say, you know. Now, I, I have a situation right now. I was in Levingwood last week, and I got a call from someone who was doing something for me, and they were really upset. They were really, really mad, you know, and, and, and I knew they were upset. So I decided, oh, thank you. Thank you for resolving the conflict in my throat. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I, I am, um, I, and I'm going to tell you some things you need to think about too. But this person called me and they were really upset and I, I was in a meeting, I couldn't answer, so I had to answer after and they, you know, they were really upset at me. And I said, okay, this is over, it's fine. I let it go. But when I see that person next, which will be next Sunday, I'm going to go to them personally and apologize and resolve it. Here's what I want to say to you. Always keeping it open. You ought to be the one to take the step forward to always try to resolve the conflict as a follower of Jesus Christ. Okay? That's what we do. doesn't feel good, but that's what we do if we say Christ is the head and he's number one. So let me give you some rules. Don't text it. I was going to say don't fax it, but I don't work anymore. <laughs> ah. Don't text it. Don't Facebook it. Don't tweet it. Don't email it. If you can't meet them in person, the next thing should be is the phone call. Don't, you know. I, I, I decided recently, I'm going to stop. And it's going to be hard for me because people will have to get me now. But I decided I will not text people unless I have no other choice. I'm going to call and leave a voicemail. They might be, they, you know, they might pick it up to the data and say, oh, I didn't, you know, because people don't listen to voicemail anymore. They said, text me. I will respond faster. And I'm thinking, yeah, that means you don't really want to talk to me. So you prefer if I text, you could just, you know, you don't want the interpersonal relation kind of thing. So, you know, so I'm cutting that, I'm cutting that out. I'm not texting you unless it's really urgent. I'm calling and leaving messages on you. So I'm going to just fill up the, 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 uh, the box with just voicemails. Anyway, here's the point. It's got to be person to person as much as you can make it. That's how we try to resolve it. And if the person doesn't want to do it, I'm, I can think about the, the couple right now that's probably struggling in the, in the marriage or the co-worker you're struggling with or the family member you have a long-existing conflict with and you're trying to figure out, well, you know, I have, I, I have given so much. You know, Jesus says, go the extra mile. Turn the other cheek. You know what that means? It means we don't stand and wait for him to come to us because we're right. Even though you were in the right and they completely misunderstood you and they created all the problems. As a follower of Jesus Christ, we go first. We leave it open. Okay? That's what he tells us to do. So I want to challenge you this morning. That conflict that's been in your life, 
That has been simmering for all these years. Some of us, we have conflict because probably we were abused as kids. And we, up to this day, we haven't worked through that yet. Or as recent as uh, on Friday at work, we had a conflict with a co-worker. Or your, a family relationship strain. Or a church member, whatever it is you're carrying with you. That, that just eats away at you. Whenever you see that person or you hear their name, it kind of just takes your joy away. You're singing a happy praise song here and this person just walks and sits there all of a sudden your praise gone from you. No, you're not singing any more joy because there's a conflict. That is not God-fearing living. That is selfish, emotionally driven living. And that's not how we call to live. I learned that to be conflict-free is what Christ meant when he says, he who the Son is set free is free indeed. Because I, I, and no one steals my joy. I will not give you that privilege anyway. <laughs> Jesus is the joy of my living. And why would I let you, with your brokenness, and my brokenness, we are both broken, I'll let you steal my joy? I want to be a representative of the kingdom of God. That when people encounter me, whether it's in conflict or however, they are attracted to the kingdom rather than questioning if that is what it is to live in the kingdom, I don't want to be part of the kingdom. So, what's your conflict this morning? What is it that has been simmering in your life that you need to take a biblical approach to resolving? That you need You're going to get this one. That you need to come down off your high horse <laughs> and drop on your knees and say, God, help me, please. I need to do this as it honors you. What's your conflict this morning? What it is that has got a hole in your life? You know what? It's blocking the free spiritual flow of God in your life. Because you've been carrying it for so long. The joy of the Lord is temporarily your strength because there's a conflict that keeps taking that joy away. How about the joy of the Lord really be your strength because you resolve that conflict? Okay. As we sing this song, could you think about what that is? And could you surrender that to God this morning? And, and, I, and what I want to challenge you is when, it, when I come back up to pray, I want you to ch- I challenge you to leave this building today with a commitment, with a solid commitment to seek the way to resolve that. You can give me a call if you need some help or talk to your pastor, you know. But, but what I'm going to say to you is you need to be set free. It's hurting you. It's hurting you. And you need the power of God to set you free free. And that's what I want you to take this morning, that opportunity to be free from that hurt and that conflict that had been eating away at your life for so long. At the cross, at the cross, that's where I want you to lay that conflict this morning as we pray and ask that power of the cross that washed you white to give you the power to resolve that conflict. Let's pray together. Father, 
We know that conflict is a part of life. But Lord, you have settled the conflict between sin and holiness through your son Jesus Christ so that we can have a relationship with you. But living that relationship out, oh God, calls us to put you first and to do things not as we feel or as we prefer, but as it honors you. So help us this morning as we think about the conflict that we bring to you at the cross today. In a marriage, with a family member, a co-worker, a church member, a neighbor. Father, help us. Would you forgive us? Forgive us, Lord, for being so selfish that because we were wronged, we wouldn't try to resolve it because we feel that we were hurt and they need to talk to us, they need to tell us they're sorry. Help us, God, to not have that attitude. Forgive us for that. Help us to recognize that resolving conflict, first and foremost, Lord, is so that we could bring honor to you that others can see what it is to follow Jesus Christ in humility and a desire to live in peace, to be peacemakers. So give us the strength, the courage, the wisdom, and the knowledge of how to resolve the conflict that is in our lives today. And Lord, we will trust you because we know you work in every situation for our good. And whatever you ask us to do is never meant to harm us. Although it feels that way sometimes, but it's always for our good. Give us the faith and the courage to hold on to that today. Thank you for reminding us. There's a wrong way and there's a right way. And Lord, we want to do it the right way. In Jesus' name, amen.